Welcome back to the NBA show on the Mojo Sports Network. As always, I'm Alexander Jay, and it's a great time to be a basketball fan. We're about a quarter of the way through the season at the moment, and we're starting to see enough from all of the contenders to bank on for now. It continues to be a really intriguing season, or at least that's my opinion. A couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk around the league that the shift to the three-pointer was kind of making a threat that every team would have to start to play the same way. And we've seen that that's just simply not the case. There are a variety of different playstyles opening up, like the defense domination of the Orlando Magic, to the extremely fast pace of Indiana, no pun intended there, to even like a team like the Bucks. They play a very different style of offense with two extremes inside and beyond the arc with Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo. On today's show, I sat down with sports journal Yuri Bilsic, the CEO of Sports Confidential Jack Brophy, and the fantasy team fanatic himself. Melbourne's Julian Balthazar to check in a quarter of the way through the NBA season and recap what was an excellent week of basketball. If you don't hear from us again prior to the holiday period, on behalf of everyone at Mojo Sports, I'd like to take the time to wish you a Merry Christmas and a very happy holidays, and I hope you enjoy some well-deserved time off. Here's today's show. All right, welcome back. There's four of us camped around the riverside. I've got Julian Balthazar, Zach, Zach Brophy. Jeez, two seconds into the show and I've already watched it. We should restart. Jack Brophy and Yuri Bilsic. Gentlemen, how are we? Great, yeah. Alex. Now, uh, Jack, we will get to Detroit in a moment, but how's your week been outside of watching Detroit lose their, what was it, 23rd game in a row? Yeah, very, very busy. Lucky I cover a lot of other sports and Liverpool uh, in the EPL, who I follow, are top of the table at the moment. So at least I've got something that I can lean the on. yin and yang. <laughs> rather than the bottom of the table. So uh, yeah, it's been a good week. What about yourself, Alex? Yeah, not too bad. Pretty busy. Uh, cricket's back. I'm wearing the Australian, uh, the one-day uniform, but i um, very happy to be back in the summer of cricket. Jules, how are you? Not too bad. I was on an incredible betting streak. I think I won 10 out of 11 bets, and then all of a sudden, I think I've lost the last seven. So, sports bet, I'm coming for you, but no, I'm having a shocking week. Thanks to the Pistons, I will say. Mate, I was 2.4 rebounds away from $30,000 on a 27-leg multi, so I will not talk about betting anymore on this show. Yuri Belsic, how are you? Great, Alex. And yes, another week goes by, hey, and the quarterway mark of the season. And tell you why, both the Western conferences, right, where you look at the top three seeds and just the win-loss records, it's pretty unbelievable, right? You think at this stage, Minnesota's well on course to win 55 games this season. Boston, of course, will probably win 55 anyway for, what, a fourth straight year. So, yeah, there's a real sort of not maybe a gap in some way, especially with Minnesota being three games clear of Denver at this stage, even though the Nuggets are currently in action against OKC. But, yeah, wow, just some of the win-loss records at this stage from some of the elite teams has just been absolutely bonkers at this stage. Yeah, you're almost right saying it is a gap. There's like a demarcation line in uh, in the East, Orlando, Philly, the Milwaukee Bucks, and Boston, the top four teams. The Knicks hanging around, though, and the Miami just in six. And at the top of the Western Conference, we've got the Wolves, Nuggets, and Thunder, and the Mavericks all at 15 wins or more. So that's it like 63% win percentage or more. Jack, let's start with you. What interests you around the week? Because I know it's not one of those eight teams I just listed. And it's a pretty interesting team with a lot of pedigree behind it. Yeah, the Golden State Warriors, um, a little bit of a problem child with the NBA at the moment in terms of Draymond Green. And I just think um, just their culture in general, like we've, we've hyped them up for so long for how good their culture's been. And are we starting to see the downfall of it now? Obviously, at this stage of the season... 
if I just get it up there, 10 and 14 at the moment, I think they just won. So it might be 11 and 14, but they're, they're sitting at 11th in the seat at the moment and we might get to trade options later on. But for me, they should be exercising it and being a progressive franchise. And I think we could see some big trades before the deadline, whether or not they're happy to pull the trigger on that at this stage or they wait to the end of the season, I'm not sure. But yeah, there's I'm just not a fan of the way that they're sort of operating themselves at the moment. Do we want to talk out the interesting pieces they've got? Like Yuri and Jules, I know you would both be well aware. We've got you know Chris Paul's the major one. We've got some young players in Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga. Um, Brendan Pajemski has been good out of nowhere as a rookie. Like They've got pieces to move. I'm assuming they don't touch Clay Thompson, but Yuri or Jules, do you feel otherwise? Oh, it comes down to a really hairy decision, right, Alex? And especially for the franchise. And I think... Of course, now with the whole CBA agreement, which is going to take effect from next season, and we saw a decade ago, right, with OKC now to make that very tough choice of James Harden like the last 24 to 72 hours because at that time they already had, I think it was Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on five-year deals and players, each of the 30 teams were only allowed to have sort of two players on max five-year extent on five-year deal, shall I say. So I feel as though one player that could be a real sort of maybe a moving piece in a way too for the Warriors. And I've got another team in store as well that could really do with his services. It's OG Ananobi for mine. Interesting. I was going to bring him up earlier because I think the Raptors should blow it up. Uh, We'll come back to you, Yuri. Jules and Jack, thoughts on OG on the Warriors? Because he doesn't give a lot of that shooting. He can play the middle shooting, but it's the defense of end uh, where he's a superstar. Yeah, well, I think they probably expected that from Andrew Wiggins. I mean, when they recruited him, he was averaging close to 20 points, four rebounds, a couple steals and blocks a game. And now he's moved to the bench and he's just showing no signs of improving. Clay Thompson has had a bit of a slump to the start of the year as well, but he's responded with two really good games, 30 points and then 24 points just before. But Wiggins, I mean, he looks so bad. I, I can't understand what he's doing. And the thing that frustrates me about Wiggins is that he, he shows what he's capable of when he's motivated. Like in the playoffs, he went from, I think, averaging four or five rebounds to like 10 or so. He was just jumping for everything. And I think there was a game where he had about 16 rebounds. And I was like, who is this Andrew Wiggins? This isn't the player I've been betting on to get under seven rebounds. Every game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the guy who can get rebounds when he wants. So, I don't know. It's really frustrating to see such a high pick. You know, he should be scoring at least 10 points a game. He's had games where he scored three points. And I don't know where they go with him. So, a, a Wiggins for Ananobi swap would kind of make sense to me, but I'm not really sure how it works at the salary cap. Uh, yeah, Wiggins is three-year, about 95 mil still there. Yuri? I think also the other part as well of last season was pretty hard for him as well, especially having an, sort of a family matter to deal with and only playing 37 regular season games. It really did That's take a, a lot ago. out of him too. Yeah, so it sort of did sort of, I think, set him back quite a fair bit. But I think even during like his Timberwolves days, right, where... You'd watch him in certain offensive plays and he'd take these ridiculously crazy like 18 to 20 foot turnaround jump shots when you think probably in part of the offense because Tibbs' offense is pretty simple in a way too. He sort of just kept it pretty sort of low key. But when you watch a lot of Minnesota Timberwolves games, especially in that 2017-18 season, and you watch him go one-on-one, I think there was a game against the Raptors in late January where he took this ridiculously crazy 20-foot jumper. He turned around and managed to like bank it off the glass. But you're sort of thinking to yourself, it's probably not the most ideal shot in the probably in the situation of the offense. And that's sort of where I think he was able to really sort of temperament that down considerably well in Golden State, and especially en route 
to the Warriors' fourth championship in eight seasons, or what, three seasons ago, right? So it's sort of, they've managed to adjust the fair bit too. And even Steve Kerr, right, was even before the start of that 21-22 campaign and him and Weeks had that one-on-one conversation just talking about he could actually become one of the best perimeter defenders right in the league. And he basically, they called him two-way Weeks at one point, right, during that championship season. And he was shutting guys like Luka Doncic down in the Western Conference Finals. He shut Jason Tatum down. I think Tatum shot, what, 40.6% or something in the NBA Finals. So the potential is always there for Andrew Wiggins to become a, elite two-way player but I think it's more to do with just intensity for the full 48 minutes for him where he can go missing at various points but really hope though that what they're at least able to do is maybe just give him a little bit of a rejuvenation coming off the bench a bit too and allow him to get back into his usual flow fingers crossed to believe that so bring it back to you Jack what do you reckon the Warriors should do I think that everyone's looking at it from too small of a perspective. Like if we, oh, if, we take it, if we take out Wiggins and we bring this bloke in and fixes it, well, Draymond Green hasn't been the same as what he has either. Clay Thompson hasn't been the same as he is either. But obviously we're not general managers and we don't own the Warriors, which is such a big franchise and having the name Curry associated with it. For me, if they didn't have that connotation around them for the Warriors and how big globally that they are, I'd completely blow it up. To be honest, I'd get rid of all of them, um, and that's why, it, from a business point of view, it probably wouldn't be smart in terms of sales and the way that the Warriors have built themselves. But in terms of the team itself, I think it needs to happen because look what the Lakers did when they had their sort of picks come through after sort of when Kobe had retired, and they went through that little bit of a lull phase, and then finally picked themselves back up by getting a franchise player in LeBron, and then eventually AD, and the way that things worked. Whether or not the Warriors can obtain people in the future to do that. I don't think that they have the history of what the Lakers do. But for me, um, I'll get to my little secret sort of segment later where it's stage two for the cutoffs of teams. And I'll give a little hint in there that they can't win the chip this year, obviously, I don't think. Um, So for me, it's like, well, if they're not going to win it this year, the players are aging, they've got to start making moves. I um I had Steph Curry as one for me to worry preseason. I thought, you know, we've had many, many years of him being a generational shooter now. When does that start to fall away? We see it with Ray Allen. We saw it with um, Reggie Miller. Like, the shooting starts to dip at some point. He's been borderline MVP this year. He hasn't been the problem. It's everyone else on that team. Um, I'd be with you. I'd be very surprised if they're above the play-in, and I don't think they've got the size to compete with anyone else who's going at them in the playoffs. That's the one thing they lack as a true center. Uh, we can move on because I think we might be talking about the Golden State Warriors a little bit later in the show. Jules, what's of interest to you in the NBA this week? I'll be quick with my one, but just in case no one watched the Phoenix Suns game, Bradley Beal injured his ankle, I think, within four minutes of the second game that we're going to see the big three, the big three, uh, you know, in quotation marks, uh, playing together. Um, it was sad to see because um, he's been plagued with injuries and then to, you know, do it off landing on uh, someone's foot, I believe. I can't remember who the player was. Was it, um, who was it, Yuri? Is it? I think, uh, oh, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think Dinwiddie, might be mistaken. Um, and, and yeah, and he's going to be out for weeks now. So we haven't seen the big three together. And at the start of the year in our prediction show, a lot of us had the Suns to make the playoffs finals. And I think they're actually second favorite with Boston Celtics on Sportsbet. And now they are currently sitting 13 and 12, 10th on the table. So... I don't know where, where to from here, how long it'll be out, if they can sort of get some chemistry without him going. I mean, they are used to playing without him this season, but it'd be nice to see the big three come together at some point. 
Yeah, massive bummer. I actually didn't know that before we logged on and I opened up the mm. doc. I didn't see the injury come through. So massive bummer for Bradley Beal fans. Um, all right, Yuri, what's interesting to you? Yes, yeah, so the Cleveland Cavaliers was able to watch that game early this morning against the Atlanta Hawks. And after they found out the news with Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, two such central pieces of their starting five out Both for, of them gone. Well, yeah. Garland out indefinitely, so we don't know when he'll be back from the broken jaw sustained in their loss to the Boston Celtics at TD Garden. And Evan Mobley as well, that knee injury, which he'd already missed, I think it was the previous two games until the team decided that he had to go under the knife and he'll miss the next six to eight weeks. So that's a real sort of major body blow for the Cavs. But what they were able to do today against the Hawks, right, was have Donovan Mitchell play more of the facilitator's role. And it was sort of similar to what, the Lakers did right in the 2012-13 season to alleviate the ball handling duties of Steve Nash with Kobe Bryant and his assist numbers. He was averaging, like, I think, nine and a half assists during like a certain period span. So I think it'll be really fascinating to see what the Cavs do with that because I think Mitchell finished with, I think it was 13 assists today yep. in their win over the yep. Hawks. And most of his passes, there was one brilliant pass he had in the first quarter as well. I think it was to Jared Allen and they really made a sort of a real emphasis on getting Allen involved in the offense and him really t- taking advantage of his size over on Yeko Okonwu with Clint Capella being out of the game. So they really hurt them on the offense, on not just on the offensive glass, but just the rebounding as a whole. And I think, again, with the way the Cavs going to run their offense without probably sticking more to that iso ball and really playing as more of a team-oriented in the half-court offense, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out for them because they sort of had that real sort of up and down start to the season, right? Even though Coach JB Bickerstaff has been sort of really wanting the team to take more threes, which they have this season, even though I think they rank, I think, bottom 15 or something in the league for three-point attempts. But it certainly has sort of trended in the right direction. But I think today, well, even though it is the Atlanta Hawks and, wow, their defense is just... just putrid, unfortunately. Even Quinn Snyder there, who's renowned as a de- defensive-oriented coach, it just hasn't really gone down for them. But They're 2-8 the Cavs- in their last 10. We're not going to yeah. spend much time on the Hawks, but they've really no. gone on a terrible slide. No, so again, with the Cavs as well, with Dean Wade, who filled in for... I'm so glad yeah, you mentioned for Evan Dean Mobley. Wade. Yeah, Dean Wade, yeah. And he did his role as well today, knocked down a few threes. So there's, there's still enough depth on the roster there, the Cavs, to really withstand Garland and... Evan Mobley and we'll just see where it really fits amongst because there's not much of a gap between them and sixth place Miami, Indiana and the Brooklyn Nets though. So as long as they keep their heads above water, then they're right in the thick of it. Birds of a feather flock together, Yuri. You've got exactly what I wanted to get on. I wanted to get uh, Jules and Jack your pulse on the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they're 14 and 12, sit at ninth in the East. Um, everyone below them is terrible. It's Atlanta four games behind, then the Raptors, the Bulls, the Hornets. Above them, they're three games out of fourth place for Orlando Magic. I was on the show two weeks ago saying I don't believe uh, Donovan Mitchell can be the number one team on a championship contender. This is who they started today. It was Donovan Mitchell, Max Struess, who was a nobody last year until the final series. Sorry, I'll be a bit harsh to Miami fans. Jared Allen, who's good. Dean Wade, who um, I'm just glad to see his name around the league still, and Isaac Okoro. They play Karis Levert off the bench, Georges Niang, Craig Porter Jr., who nobody knew of three weeks ago. Tristan Thompson got six minutes for them. Um, I'd be interested in your thoughts because if they go on a couple-game slide here, um, Donovan Mitchell is a free agent next offseason. Do they blow it up? Do you think they make a move? I would 
bet on them being sellers, but you try and convince me they should trade for somebody else. I, I completely agree on Donovan Mitchell not being a number one option on a championship team because he has those moments where he can go and drop your 50 points. We've seen him drop 70 last year. You can get the big assists up there, but does that correlate into wins? Does that correlate into playoff games when things get really clutch and things need to happen? I don't think he's great defensively either. Obviously, he's just a burst of power and speed, which is great to watch. But for me, they, they can't win it this year. So there's another team that won't be making it. <laughs> Jules, then Yuri. I watch a lot of Cavaliers games, and I think their lineup is phenomenal on paper. They've got the Twin Towers plus the two guys, the two guards in the front court who can ball handle. They can both dish it out. They can both score really well. And then Struess, who was a nobody, as Alex said, until last year's playoffs. So I think, uh, and then they've got a bit of depth as well with Karis LeVert off the bench and obviously Tristan Thompson, I, I suppose you can include him. So yeah, they've, they've got everything on paper to, to be a, a fantastic team. But yeah, it's just obviously not showing. So, But they, to be fair, like a lot of them haven't played, I don't know how many games that starting five has played together, maybe about 13 or 14, I think, out of the 20 plus. So yeah, um, again, a bit hard to tell given they haven't had a full team. But yeah, should be doing better with the list that they got. I think during the second half as well of today's game against the Hawks, Alex, and Atlanta, they didn't do it in the first half, but in the second half, they really looked to hunt Donovan Mitchell on those switches and have DeJounte Murray attacking him at every possible opportunity, which they did. And even when Donovan had the ball, the, the Hawks showed basically did a hard show or tried to blitz the screen with, I think, Sadiq Bay as that helper on the perimeter, which sort of really forced Mitchell to take, well, forced him to take the ball out of his hands and passed up. But I think also the other part was Isaac Okoro, who's never been known as a three-point shooter or even just a shooter in general. He was able to knock down a couple of those corner threes. So teams are still gambling to leave him wide open and sort of thinking the way that, well, we'll just make him beat us. And if he does, then somehow we'll just have to guard him. So it's just something that, take away from today's game too that I think that sort of really helped that at least it wasn't just Mitchell that had to score 35, 40, 45 points and as mentioned earlier too with Jared Allen's production right from the first possession all the way to the very end was just central to just the interior presence that Atlanta well they just give up so many points in the paint anyway there was a pretty simple game plan to go straight ahead and attack them at every every possible opportunity all right, I've got two things I wanted to talk. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was, I was going to say, I don't think that that's their issue. I think the issue is that we think that they've got depth, but they really don't. Like, these these injuries come in and then these players come in and play these roles, like Okoro playing big minutes. It's just because these players have been in the league for a while, like George Niang and that. They, he's left the 76ers, and look how well they're sort of going this year. So maybe it's just because they're, they're named players like Tristan Thompson who is getting a very big mention today, which is ridiculous. Yeah, well, I love it because he was <laughs> yeah, terrible dude. seven years ago. I just don't think they have the depth of what we think that they do and they, they're not as compatible um, and chemistry-wise on offense at all. Yeah, my worry if you're a Cleveland fan is uh, Donovan Mitchell drags them to 500 by the time both of um, Mobley and Garland return. And then what do you do? You've got three months left of a guy who's doesn't really hasn't shown he wants to be there next year and you know not that great. And you know, I don't know what your coffers are for draft assets, but I think they're a very interesting team at the trade deadline. So uh, let's leave it at that. I have two things I want to talk to you guys about. You can debate amongst the three of you about where we drilled down. So my two things that interest me this week, 
The Philadelphia 76 is absolutely just crushing teams. Uh, they're 18 and 7. Or the San Antonio Spurs ending their losing streak at 18 by beating the Los Angeles Lakers. And Victor Wembanyama has moved to the five to start games. Uh, what do you guys want to talk about? I think let's go 76ers first, right? Ah, damn. I I really thought we would go the Spurs. I'm prepared to talk (laughs) the Spurs. Let's talk the Sixers because I know I think Jules had put in the document too uh, to talk about Joel Embiid might go Mm. back-to-back at MVP, ridiculed over the offseason. Everyone said it was a soft award. They just gave it straight to him. He's been crushing it. Uh, Who watched the Sixers play today? 40-something points in three quarters. Jules, take it from me. Yeah, I've I've watched the last three Sixers games. I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because two of them were against the Pistons and today it was against the Hornets. But um, no, you're right. The way they are playing is phenomenal. I love watching them. Uh, They can get scores from anyone on their starting five, even Batum. (laughs) But Embiid, what he's doing, I think, is is unreal. He scored 30-plus points in his last 11 games and that's included games where it's been a blowout, where he hasn't even had to play 30-plus minutes. Um, He's unguardable at the moment. All his opponents get two fouls in the first quarter and they have to go to the bench because he knows how to draw fouls so well. He's passing the ball now, which he didn't have last year with Harden in the team, so his vision has improved. Honestly, like today the commentators were talking about how he's a very likely chance to go back-to-back and if they continue this record and impressive basketball that they're playing, I don't see why not. I know Embiid frustrates a lot of the NBA world in terms of like sometimes the Sixers games from a watching perspective can be a little bit boring because he goes to the foul line quite a lot but really they're playing some awesome basketball and even Tobias Harris who we've got stuck into on this podcast before me too and Maxi being the most improved player potentially I mean they've got all the key ingredients to go very far but then obviously playoffs and bead is different to regular season and bead so that's really where the question lies isn't it yeah eight and two over their last 10 they're 10 and three at home they have the league's longest win streak at six um, I disagree. I think they're very fun to watch. I love watching the Sixers because Embiid can just dominate anybody most nights unless he's going up against a Tristan Thompson, a big, tall bastard. Um, he could probably still put 40 on Tristan Thompson, let's be real. But they've got the speed of Tyrese Maxey. They've got a developing two-man game that's really fun to watch, kind of like Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Yuri, your thoughts on the Sixers? I think as well, having Nick Nurse in with his system, Alex, yeah. and there's a lot of sort of like... I think this is a big thing with Embiid, right? Where... Doc Rivers and Brett Brown, and we spoke about it before, they just stick him on the post and just expect him to go one-on-one, whereas teams would eventually figure that out and then double-team him as soon as he catches the ball right from the high to the low post. But what they, what Nurse has done this season is have Embiid start on the perimeter and then set a high pick for Maxi, maybe yeah. even a handoff, and then roll to the rim. So therefore, the team... So therefore, shall I say, the weak side help isn't there for the opposition to go in and double team on him. And that allows Joel so many easy paint opportunities. And that's where the whole oriented system of Nick Nurse has been such a success for the 76ers through, what, 24 games this season. And I think just having that little bit of extra dynamics within the offense too and not being so stagnant has helped the team tremendously. All right, Jack, talk to me about the Sixers. Or we can go to the Spurs a minute or two on Wemby. Um. I think you guys have summed it up really well. And what Jules said as well about uh, playoff time is what really counts. The the East is terribly weak. It's probably the the worst I've seen it in a long, long time. And I'll go through my East teams now and really sum it up. And I've, I've made some big calls here for the East. But I think that that plays such a big factor when it comes into the playoffs for teams. And that's why I've culled so many people at stage two of teams that can't win the championship. So clearly we've got the Pistons, Wizards, Hornets, Bulls. Uh, I've got the Raptors in there, Hawks are in there, K 
Cavs I've put in there as well. I don't think that they can win it. The Nets can't win it. The Heat I don't think can win it. And the Pacers can't win it. Oh, you left them till last. I was thinking maybe he just <laughs> let them stick around. Maybe they learned a lesson in the in-season tournament we final. Want, no. We want to win it. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think that the Pacers um, brand of basketball is going to really stand up at the pointy end when it counts. Like Obviously, I think they're the highest scoring team in the NBA. Great to watch. But you watch the bully ball of the playoff top vibes yeah. of what LeBron and AD did to them. Uh, Miles Turner, as, although he can be good, we've never really seen him in a playoff period. So I don't think they can go close to winning it. Yeah, they're short of big men for sure. Um, I mean, maybe we should try and find him a big man for the offseason. That's a fun thought exercise. Who's free? Uh, I'll I'll spend 30 seconds on uh, Victor Wembanyama. So they've moved him from starting power forward to the starting center in the last four games. In those four games, he averages 20 points, 16 and a half rebounds, and four and a half blocks. Um, they've moved, they being the Spurs, have moved from one of the league's worst defensive grading teams to the best in that four-game period. Um, it's interesting because Devin Vassell's also been very good, so I'm not sure which change has been more impactful. Uh, Wemby shoots a lot of threes, a lot really poorly, like 26%. But in this four-game stretch, it's about like 36%. So even his threes are picked up. It's just interesting. It's something to keep in mind for later in the season. They're at the bottom of the West, and they're not going to do anything fun. Currently seeing it 4-20, and 20, and you'd think the Grizzlies pull away from them, which we'll get to shortly. All right, so we go from a really good team in the Philadelphia Sixers to maybe a historically bad team, I'm sorry to say, Jack. Um, the Detroit Pistons, 2-24 and 24 after today. They're 23rd loss in a row. It's tied for the second worst single-season losing streak in NBA history. Um, there's a couple worst over uh, two seasons. Both the 2013-14 Sixers and the 2010-11 Cavs, that's the year LeBron left, lost 26 in a row. So they're three games away. These are the next games for Detroit. You tell me when they win a game. They've got the Atlanta Hawks. Maybe they win that because the Hawks have not been very great. Utah Jazz would be lose number 25. They play the Nets twice either side of Christmas. So if they lose to the Nets prior to Christmas, they'd be praying for a Christmas miracle to beat them the day after to not have the outright low, worst record. Then they play the Celtics. They're not getting away with that. The Raptors have not been good. The Rockets are playing well. Then they've got Utah, which would be 30 losses in a row. Jack, I will start with you. Head coach Monty Williams signed the largest coaching deal six years $78 million. Um, this is a team that were down 23 points tonight in the first quarter against the Bucks. Cade Cunningham hasn't been great. Um, he's regressed a little bit. He's playing with a rough team. So I think he leads the league in turnovers, and it's not all on him. Uh, 21 points, 32% from three. He's a bit janky still. Um, he's the least, he's, sorry, he's the third least efficient player in the league that averages 15 points a game. That's Jordan Clarkson and Nikola Vucevic ahead of him. How many games do they lose? Do you see someone in there, Atlanta, Utah, Nets, Celtics, Raptors, Rockets, Utah, before they get to 30, diagnose this team? It can't all be Monty Williams, but maybe it is coaching. Uh, the floor is yours. Uh, it's basically Groundhog Day. I feel like every time I come on this podcast, it's just like this has been extended and extended. and like, I, It's going to keep extending. Like there's just, there's just no way that they win a game of basketball in the near future with the way that they're playing. Like It's, it's just that glaringly obvious that they look like they're defeated as soon as they go out there, and rightfully so because they're terrible. Like, I, I, don't, I don't see them winning a game unless they play the, the Wizards somewhere down the line or something like that. They, they're they going to break that record comfortably, I think. And um, speaking of, like, trade deadlines, like, 
Bojan Bogdanovic, who's just come back in the, into the side after missing the first 19 games, he should be traded as well. Get him to a contender. Um, it, yeah, it's just it's bad to watch, really. I had to I watch that. I don't want to go on for too long because I'll get upset. <laughs> yeah, no, I had, to, I, I had to watch the I had the misfortune of watching the last three Pistons game. And uh, I was looking forward to watching all of them. I had some bets on them as well. And I just expected them. The first game where it was a blowout against the Sixers, I thought, okay, fair enough. Like, Stewart got into some foul trouble. They didn't have Duran. And, you know, maybe they would learn something from that game. And then the second one was another blowout. And I thought, oh, my gosh, not again. And then against the Bucks, like Jack said, they were defeated before they even started. Um, their defense is just so woeful. It's non-existent. They are so bad at the moment. It is just, like, horrible to watch. And what it reminds me of is just a bunch of kids out there with their dad, who's Bogdanovich, who's the only good person in the team. And I, I completely took the words out of my mouth, Jack. Get that guy out of the team because he's too good for them. He's the only reason they, they're not losing by 50 points at the moment. Agreed. I can't watch them anymore, but I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you're dedicated. I love it. Yeah. No, I follow yeah, this one guy yeah. on TikTok who is a Detroit fan and like over the last two months, he's got progressively sadder and sadder and all the comments are just like, do you need help? We're here if you want to talk. It's it's brutal. Like but, but, 10 yeah. games into the losing streak, they're like, you know, there's promising signs. Jade Marvey doing this. Cunningham had a, an okay game and he's 23 games in. He's like, there's nothing we can do. We're not going to win another game all year. And there's about no nine guys that are is on that roster that, shouldn't even should be playing in the G League. Like it's just mm. the way that it honestly is. Like Marvin Bagley's not good enough and he's starting. Um Wiseman obviously no <laughs> yeah. good enough. Duran being out doesn't help, but at the end of the day he's not gonna fix a twenty five point plus margin for every game that's been. Yeah, they got Joe Harris who led the league in three point shooting and they don't play him because he's bad and they're playing like guys like Stanley Umuede. Like give him a shot, sure, but um yeah, Killian Hayes. You know what? I was going to slander Killian Hayes. The two games I've watched at Detroit the last fortnight, he's been okay. So um, I'll give the Frenchman a little bit of praise. Jack, you look like you wanted to stab me for saying that. But <laughs> No, I, I just, I've been thinking about it, and obviously my group chat goes hot when the Pistons play and I get roasted by everyone. But do you think if someone like a Giannis or a Jokic or an MB come into that team straight away, that they could even win a game? Like, I don't think that that would be... <laughs> I generally don't um, think that make a difference. You'd need three or four players to really change that. Whole maybe not Giannis. There's not enough shooting, no. I mean, Jokic has got the shooting and Bede can has got a nice touch, but not Giannis. You can't play him and a Saw Thompson and Cade Cunningham all at the same time. Nah, terrible. Move that, wouldn't on. Fix the, that wouldn't fix the turnovers and the fact that they just throw the ball away. And, and, and when they throw it away as well, they they don't even react. Like, I saw Cunningham today. He got the ball stolen out of his hands and he just he didn't even, like, he didn't even move a muscle. It was just like, oh, here we go again. Another turnover, next point. Like, they just want the games to be over. And, you know, they haven't played more than 30 minutes because they keep getting rested in the fourth quarter because they're getting blown out. They should be fresh as ever. Yeah, they should be playing the whole game to learn. Why are you resting That's your starters right. if you're that bad? I agree. Uh, we played Cunningham a little bit late in the fourth quarter today with a few others, but I agree. Like, it's, it's shocking. <laughs> it's so bad to watch. But, yeah, I'm hooked. I'm hooked on the Should we put... Ride. Should we put a number on it? So if they lose to the Nets twice back to back, that's the single in like a single season losing record at um, twenty seven. I think it was twenty eight is the uh, record for across two seasons. That would be losing against the Raptors. So they'd have to beat Atlanta, Utah, the Nets twice, Celtics, Raptors. Anyone want to put a number on where they think they get to? Because 
I honestly do think they beat the Nets on the second night of a back-to-back. They don't want the the worst record of all time. It's a Christmas miracle for Detroit fans. It's been a, a rough year for basketball fans. They're good in the NFL if you're a footy head. But um, Jack, put a number on it, then Julian, then Yuri. I'm going to go with 36. Oh, Jesus. So that would be... I'll plan that out for you, right? So they lose to Atlanta, Utah, that's the like Nets. Easy. Yeah, that's that's 26. Then you go the Nets, the Celtics, Raptors, Rockets, Utah again. Utah's not been great. Then it's the Warriors, the Nuggets, the Kings, the Spurs, the Rockets, the Wizards. So the Wizards is 36. There you go. Bang on. 36. All right. Jules? I'm a genius. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back. The, uh, I have no reason to back them, but I'm just gonna hope that they beat the Jazz. I reckon that's their their game that they're gonna put everything into. And let's, what does that make it? Twenty six or so? Uh, jazz would be twenty five, so they'd be short okay. of the record. Okay, Jazz, jazz they'll, they'll beat the Jazz is my prediction. Y- Yuri. Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, we were saying last week, right? With who's going to end their winning streak between the Spurs and Pistons? I'll <laughs> probably have to just agree with what Julian has said as well, and that ends at 26 because no one wants that unwanted record of more than a 26-game losing streak. So hopefully that's where the buck stops there for the Pistons. The Bucks stop there. You can't stop him from using a Milwaukee pun. Uh, all right, moving on. A couple of trade candidates for a quarter into this season. Um, some interesting pieces have started to, you know, maybe become available. Rumors floating, you know, Zach Levine's been sat out with a foot issue. Um we spoke about OG Ananobi. I think he's a candidate. The Raptors have no business being a basketball team for the rest of this year. They really should blow it up. They've got good assets. Um, but, I mean, outside of Scotty Barnes, nothing's really doing there. So OG Ananobi could be had. I think Pascal Siakam's on an expiring also could be had. But he's interesting. He used to be a, a decent three-point shooter, career average up above 36% last year. He's only shooting 26% from three this year. So I don't know who wants Pascal uh, Jack, we spoke earlier about the Warriors. Um, who else do you think should be on the trade market? I think Levine's obviously the big one in terms of where he goes. Uh, that goes without saying. Every week it feels like that's been rolled over. Um, but Bogdanovich, as we spoke about, obviously he needs to get out of there, but where does he go? And you need to, you need to be going to a contender or somewhere that obviously fits the piece of the puzzle because that's the type of player that he is. And I think there is four teams that he should be going to, either the Lakers the Pacers, the Kings, or even the Magic potentially as well. I don't mind it for the Magic. They need some shooting. Yeah, just thinking it through. He's going to go to like a middle-of-the-range team that just is, just needs that little last piece to just go, okay, let's go. He's going to give us at least, you know, 17 points per game, a couple of rebounds and assists here and there, and, you know, can really spread the floor. Does he fit? I don't watch Bogey play that much. Defensively, I'm guessing he's not great. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> okay, say no more. Uh, you know, Zach Levine's another interesting one too. I had him penciled down, but he's, after the season, owed three years, $130 million. And I'm thinking, okay, player, um, has been decent defensively in short stretches. I don't know what takes him. Like, who wants three years, 130 of Zach Levine? And the only team I could look up and down the roster, I'll just go, maybe Charlotte. Maybe Charlotte wants something a bit explosive and something to add to Miles Bridges and Lamelo Ball. Yuri? 
Yeah, well, Charlotte kind of even sink a three-pointer, save their own lives. That's the issue as well that they have. They're poor field goal, they're poor jump shooting team, and they're poor three-point shooting team. We saw that today when they got absolutely crushed up by the Philadelphia 76ers, only scoring 82 points. And I think at one point, they were three of 21 from the field. It just sort of typifies their three-point shooting, not just this season, but the last couple of seasons where, unfortunately, that's where the whole aim of the game is now with the league and sort of the last trend for six, seven seasons where you've got to be able to consistently knock down threes. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to do that apart from Terry Rogier this season who's had a career best year. I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on Zach Levine, if you've got a, another team penciled. And I'm looking in the Eastern Conference, um, you know, shooting for Orlando, but I don't think he fence their defensive identity. I don't think the Knicks would want him. Miami is an interesting one. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Yuri's laughing at me. Jules, have you got anywhere for Levine or do we just move on to the next trade piece? Yeah, no, maybe not. I'm not sure. I, I think we said Lakers last time, but I'm, yeah, still have no idea where I'd send him. Uh, okay. Alex Caruso. He's a defensive-oriented guard. Two years, 19 mil, so not so bad. I had him penciled in. I think the Knicks would love him as a starter upgrade over DiVincenzo or maybe the Mavs want to flirt with an upgrade. Any other thoughts on Alex Caruso? I think I think he's one of those pieces in a team that can help with the depth off a bench. Like you look at you look at the good teams that are up there in playoff contention. They've got good players that can come off the bench at the moment. Hardaway Junior has been really good for Dallas, so maybe he's he been help, excellent. He could help fit him. Norman Powell's really good for the Clippers. I reckon he's the most underrated player in the NBA for what he can do. Um, there's these teams all have these players that come off the bench and fill a role, and and he. If he goes to somewhere like, say, the Mavs and you've got Hardaway shooting it, he can be the one on the second string that's giving him the ball and help out defensively. So I, I like that idea. The Phoenix Suns, potentially, as well, just because defensively this season's just been, again, it's been another sort of horror show, especially going into it right where Frank Vogel's always been known as a defensive coach and they've just completely folded the first line at the perimeter and it's put so much pressure on Yusuf Nurkic or even when Drew Eubanks is out there as the backup centre to really apply some rim protection. So I think if they can make a move for Caruso just to at least shore that up, even though it's only one piece out of so many that they're missing, it's at least probably a start, right? I also had DeMar DeRozan down. So, Jules, I don't know if you want to play with DeMar DeRozan. Um, I had him as attractive to either LA or the Clips. He's not on expiring, so you don't have to deal with his money next year. Um, I thought he might be interesting for the Bucks. Yuri, I'd be interested in your thoughts too. Chris Middleton's not been great, so DeMar DeRozan is the mid-range threat. Um, Miami or the Kings, they're both teams that could use a little bit of extra shooting but don't want to you know, commit long-term to somebody. The Kings have pieces. Miami, not so much. Any thoughts on DeMar DeRozan? I think the Bucks would make a lot of sense. They could move um, Middleton to the shooting guard position, have DeRozan as a small forward, and then you've got Beasley coming off the bench for the three-point depth. So, yeah, I think that makes sense for sure. And that's where Middleton, as you're right, Julian, too, where he started his career as a shooting guard before they switched him to the three. Even Giannis right, started his career as a small forward before they moved into the power forward position. So there's no real issue there anyway because Middleton's a two-way player and anyway, two guard with playing the small forward or shooting guard spot, depending on what the Bucks do. But although Milwaukee hasn't even gone th- for that sort of trio twin tower lineup of Giannis, Bobby and Brooke this season, I think, can't remember exactly what the minutes between the three of them went on the court together, but it's not that much at all. So potentially that would be good. But I think the other sort of, 
downside as well is DeMar's never been a great defender. That's the only issue they're probably painting to light. All right, any other trade pieces you guys want to discuss before we move on to our final major segment for today? I'm getting no's all around the Riverside. So final segment, discussion. Just keep an eye on blank. It's been 20, 22, 23 games for most teams. There's a couple of interesting things that we've you know been keeping our eye on through the season. But as we make the turn towards the midway stretch, is there anything that you really want to keep your eye on? I, for example... Just keep an eye on the Memphis Grizzlies. Ja Moran is back next Tuesday against the Pelicans. They're 6-18. and 18. That's not great, but if they've got any chance to get north of... I think you're going to need 44 wins to be in the 10-9-8 you know, play in the West. If they need to get above 44, that means they need to win 38 out of their last 57 games, or two-thirds of every game. Uh, tankathon.com has the Grizzlies as the sixth toughest remaining strength of schedule for the year too. So... Just keep an eye on the Memphis Grizzlies and how they come out of the gates with Jar Moran. If they rattle off six in a row, or maybe they go five and two, then we know, okay, they could be with us at the end of the year. Uh, over the last five games too, both Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson have been really good. Um, terrible losses, like they're not even close losses, but Bain, 29, five and five, shooting 43% from three. And Jaron Jackson Jr. had a couple 40 spots. So he's averaging 30 points and 2.2 blocks, shooting 50, 40, and 87% from the free throw line over five games as well. So I'm just saying, keep an eye on the Memphis Grizzlies. Jack? I like that. Uh, I just think their only issue probably is probably their center position yep. at this stage, as we know at this stage. But yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr., I've given him a few clips, so maybe he listens to the podcast because <laughs> he's been playing really well. I like that. Um, for me, it's for me, it's going to be the Clippers. Six-game win streak, equal best in the NBA at the moment. And they're really starting to gel and playing a lot better. Harden's shooting the ball as well as dishing it off as well as he has previously in times. And Kawhi Leonard, you're seeing him back to his best. Like he's he's been putting up big numbers, but also really having that sort of leading the team and charging forward to say, hey, you know, we've got the we've got the group around us now. We've had a few games under our belt. Let's start scoring. Like Paul George has been out for a few games, so I just think keep an eye on them because. They're a dark horse, and I reckon they can. I honestly think that they can win it. Yuri, thoughts on either the Clippers or the Grizzlies, or who we should keep your eye on? Completely agree with Jack's assessment on the Clippers, and luckily enough, being able to watch some live Clippers ball this season too, they've definitely got the chemistry going just at the right time now, especially the Harden Zubats pick and roll or yep. lob, and he's had so much success with that right throughout, especially when he was at the Houston Rockets with Dwight Howard and Clint Capella. And even last season, Joel Embiid with those pocket sort of slight side pocket bounce passes to him where Embiid would operate from the mid-range. But this is a lot different anyway because Zubats isn't a mid-range jump shot, jump shooter, shall I say. He's a rim roller and also a rim protector too. So it basically goes back to Harden's Houston days anyway and just basically spread the floor with shooters. And they're having so much success as well in that regard. And we spoke about too with Russin accepting that bench role and he's come in and provided so much energy just right from the outset. And it was going to happen sooner or later, I think, as well. I think all of us were pretty doubtful as well about the Clippers, especially when they started, what, four and seven on the season. They thought it just might be a little bit of a long road back. But again, th- those issues, I think, with Harden and probably the talk about him in terms of whether he was going to accept probably playing that sort of third offensive option role and just 
wanting to just facilitate a lot more, which he's already done already, but him just sort of taking it in stride. And I think Ty Lu spoke about this a few games ago with James and we want him to be aggressive at different stages of the game. And that's what he's been doing. So he's sort of got the balance right between being an offensively mind as well and attacking the rim and those lethal step-back threes, which he's done over the course of his career to playing the facilitator's role and drawing those double teams and those unbelievable passes, which he's able to whip out from the baseline corner. So they've got everything humming at the right time too. And especially with PG and Kawhi being healthy as well. And I think it was the first, what, 20 or 21 games that the two played together to start the season. So things are definitely on the uptick for the Clippers. And as for the Grizzlies too... Hey, we're just we supposed on the Clippers because they're playing yep. the Knicks right now. It's the end of the second period. It's not even half time. They've scored 71 points against the Knicks. So um, they're really humming. Go ahead for the Memphis Grizzlies. So we spoke last week, Alex, too, about the Grizzlies and how they're sort of in a similar position, Not may not with the a massive injuries back in the 2010-11 season, but they had a really slow start. I think it was Lionel Hollins' first season as coach, and they went on that absolutely barnstorming run on the second half of the campaign and finishes the West number 8 seed with a 46-36 record and upset the San Antonio Spurs in six games. So anything's possible, I think, but... It sort of does draw maybe some comparison if you want to what the Brooklyn Nets were going through in 2013-14. They had a 10-21 and 21 start and it was looking really dire at that point. They were able to turn around even though the Eastern Conference that season was really, really weak apart from the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers in that season alone. So again, anything's possible with the Grizzlies, but they're going to have to start conjuring wins pretty fast and pretty quickly. And Ja Morant's return too in the next few days is going to be a definitely a welcome return for the Grizzlies. We should push the recording time back for this, you know, every Sunday, back an hour. The Oklahoma City Thunder just beat the Nuggets by a single point. Uh, Chet Holmgren had nine blocks. I am annoyed that we're recording and I couldn't watch that game. I chose to put the cricket on the TV in my room instead of this Thunder game. The Thunder are a lot of fun to watch. Jules, um, let's throw to you. What is your... Just keep your eye on... I had to keep my eye on, but I have to change it because breaking news, Keegan Murray has scored 45 points at the end of the third quarter. 12 out of 13 three-pointers is hit. So that's a new franchise Jeez. record. Yeah, new franchise record for the Sacramento Kings. 12 out of 13 threes, Keegan Murray has hit. Currently on 45 points at the end of the third quarter. So I would keep our eye on him over the next few games. Yeah, look, we really need to push this recording time back to make sure all the games are finished on a Sunday. That's on me, guys. <laughs> That's wow. on me. Oh, now. Crazy. Yeah, well, look, uh, the cricket's in a pause, so I'm going to flip KO over and we'll just put something else on or league pass. What, what is all the right. NBA record for three-pointers, by the way? Because I, I think this game's going to be a blowout, unfortunately. But could he catch Clay Thompson's record? Is that 14, from memory? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah so he's, he's two behind the record. I think against the Chicago Bulls on October 29, 2018. There he <laughs> is. There, there he is. Go. There's wow. our basketball encyclopedia. <laughs> there you go. Oh, he's, he's still on as well in the fourth quarter, so maybe he's going to break that record. That'll be interesting. So keep your eye on him, I'd say. I am happy if we need a pause so everyone can get league pass up on their phones or whatever needs to happen because that's what I'm doing. I am just pushing this sentence out as long as I can to the king shop. So 106 to 79, currently top of the fourth over Utah. So Jules, you might be right. I think um, Detroit might get a win against Utah because they seem to have given up as well. <laughs> All right, moving on to our performance of the week. We can use Keegan Murray if you need to. Um, 
I might just throw out Victor Wembenyama. He played the Lakers, I think, in a back-to-back. In the first game was a 30 points, four of five from threes. The only three he missed was to win it or to tie it at the end of the game. 13 rebounds, six blocks. Um, again, he's playing really well since he got into the center position. Jules, have you got a performance of the week? Yeah, I do. I'm sorry, boys. I had to jump in first to steal it. It's Giannis's 64 points against the Pacers. Makes sense. Yeah, 64 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, four steals, one block, and the game ball. The official game say. ball, we don't know. But <laughs> definitely a game ball. ball. For the week. A game ball of some sort. A ball that was there. <laughs> oh, my God. That was just very great. Embarrassing. I don't know if it was embarrassing. I was just really glad to see it. Yuri, how would you feel as a Bucks fan? I felt as though for the Indiana Pacers, don't poke the bear, mate. There's still two more regular season yeah. games left, buddy. He might pull 85 on you next time. It Just could too. be careful. Be careful. He's already averaging, what, 51 points or something a game against the Pacers this season, including our 54-point game about three weeks ago. So, unfortunately, they just, I think, love their actions, especially in that the in-season tournament semi-final too. I think with Tyrese Halliburton. You remember when he hit that three, I think, over Brook Lopez? Alex, he crossed him over. Yeah, yep. he did that. Yeah, he tapped Mate. his wrist and let everyone know whose time it was now. <laughs> the thing about that game with Giannis' 64 is I was watching it at work. I got a little bit distracted. I'm fairly certain like the Bucks were up big enough. They took him out the game, and then the, uh, the Pacers made a run, so we had to come back in. So he could have just had a regular night with 56 or something. But anyway, uh, Yuri, your performance of the week. Got Jalen Brunson's 50 points from yesterday against the Phoenix Suns, Alex. And the first player in NBA history to score 50 points and make all of his three-point attempts, right? I think Latrell Sprewell went, I think, 9 of 9 against the Clippers back in 03. If not mistaken, he scored 38 points in that game. And I think he's only one of, like, two or three players in league history to be perfect from the three-point line and have over, like, 30 points in the game. So it was just a, again... We speak so highly Jalen Brunson and he had a very, you could say, slow start in a way. Even though that Bucks game, he completely carved us up to smithereens with the 45, I think, no, 48-point outing or 45, if I'm not mistaken, as well, on November 3rd in that first in-season tournament game. And just his ability, right, to just be so deft and creative and use those screens to his advantage as well and get to the elbow and... He, he didn't, I think at one point, Alex, I think it was his first nine or 10 field goal attempts. He only took one three-pointer at that stage. And then, of course, the Phoenix Suns' defense, as Clyde Walt Frazier loves to say, when teams are playing horrible defense, Swiss cheese D. Well, that's exactly what the Phoenix Suns displayed yesterday. And he just absolutely made them pay, and especially that second half too. He just absolutely went ballistic. And it was a much-needed win as well for the Knicks on the road as well because it is, I think, a five-game trip out west that they're currently on as well. So it was much needed too. And he's just, he's a phenomenal player, Alex. There's not too much more to describe from him. And considering what the Mavericks should have offered him a bigger bag to stay in Dallas, you think in some regard, they're probably regretting that. Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, Devastating news before we throw to Jack for your performance of the week. They've just subbed out Keegan Murray with 10 minutes left at the top of the fourth. King's up. 25, so they've taken him out. So he finishes with a career-high 45, a career-high 12 of 13. Uh, one would have been tied for second. Yeah, Lillard, Levine, and Curry all tied on 13 in the game, and Thompson's 14. So, Jack, your performance of the week is? Well, I was going to go with Devin Vassell, but it feels like it's absolutely nothing now in comparison to these other ones. It was a great game, no. I, I really like, um, I don't know, there's something about his game that I, I, I like, and it's, I think it comes back to your point earlier, what you spoke about with the Spurs 
improvement. And I think that teams have got to really start to pay attention to him a little bit, not just Wembenyama and a few other players, but it really sort of it can help Wemby become the player that he he will be in the future by not having all this world on his shoulders. Like all the mm. crap teams have really got to rely on your one to one and two guys that are really good. So the more role players that can sort of help ease that load, it's going to make watching Wemby better. And that's why Chet's had such a good start because he's got so many good players around him. Yuri? And that's where Keldon Johnson's name comes into play, Alex and Jack and Julian. Just his role too that we saw last season. I think he led the league in, or led the team, should I say, in scoring as well, like 20.7 points, I think, per game last season or something like that. And so he's become that third option. But on nights where... Wemby maybe, well, is obviously going to be double teamed in, shall I say, during certain stages of games. And just having Keldon with his reliable jump shot there too, and he can also attack the basket, it just provides so much of that different dynamic offense that the Spurs can build around those trio of players, right? Because I think Keldon's only 24, if I'm not mistaken. Devin Vassell's only, what, 23. Yeah, they're all and very Wemby, young. And of course, is only 19. So there's a trio right there for Spurs to build around into the future. And it's just, again, we've spoken about them on the last two, three episodes that it was always going to be a case of growing pains. And I think for Greg Popovich, this has been, it's a vastly different experience coaching a bunch of younger guys. When he took over back in 1996, it was a group of veterans. So I think from all accounts, he's enjoying coaching the younger guys too and really installing sort of a team ethos within, but also just the basic tangibles that go within the game of basketball. And I think it's just always going to be that learning curve, I think, for the Spurs this season for however how long they are until they climb back to where they were beforehand on top near the top of the West. A couple other performances of the week to mention. Uh, Luca, 33 points, 17 assists while wearing a headband as the Mavs beat the Lakers. Uh, Anthony Davis had 37, 10, and three steals uh, in that game against Wemby. Uh, he sat out the second game, I think, with a leg injury. Zion Williamson, everyone trash-talked him after that terrible uh, in-season tournament semifinal. Comes out the next game, 36 points, 13 to 17 shooting from the floor. That was a really impactful game. Joel Embiid had 47 and 15 today against the Hornets in their worst ever loss in franchise history for Charlotte in three quarters, of course. He only plays three quarters. DeMar DeRozan, 41 points in a loss to the Bucks. I liked that game when I watched. And I wanted to give a special, sh- excuse me, a special shout out to Kobe White, um, COO of Mojo. Before the season started, he said, just keep your eye on Kobe White. It could be six man of the year potential. Um, since Zach Levine's gone out, the Bulls have played eight games. They're five and three in those games. Kobe White averages 25, 6, and 6, shooting 49.4% from three on 10 attempts per game. Um, Very special stuff if he can keep that streak going. So I don't know if anyone wants to touch there before we get to uh, Jules's. Have you got the stat for the week? And then we can wrap up the show. I do. I've got it ready whenever we're ready to go. Go ahead. Let's straight into it. There were a couple of good ones, but just was looking through who's done really well in every category. And that was Carl Anthony Towns today, actually. Um, he had 40 points against the Pacers. The Pacers, geez, they're getting dominated by the big men. 40 points, 12 rebounds, two threes, four assists, three steals, and two blocks. I think that's the stat line of the week for me. Did I miss anything, gentlemen? Is there anything else to talk about from this week? I think we've summed it up pretty well this week. It's been a, it's been a massive week of the NBA, that's mm. for sure. 
So this time next week, we're a day or two ahead of the Christmas games, which is the best time of the year if you're in Australia. Uh, Boxing Day here, they play all the Christmas games. You can watch the cricket too, the Boxing Day test. I think we're going to have a show prior to Christmas. I don't know. We'll see how everyone's feeling. But if we don't, we'll see you on the other side. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Cheers, Alex. Cheers, Alex.